Thanks, Frank. Thank you. Well, welcome tonight. This is, it looks like a lot of you are young and probably have young kids. How many of you have kids over five years old? Under five years old? A couple? Hey, under five hey. years old. Yeah, I was guessing based on your over youth. 10? <laughs> over 10? Over 10 years over old? Over 10, over 10. We will Except. cater to you with the younger kids. That's yeah. good. <laughs> you well, want to start? Well, here's the deal. You can uh, hit that. The, here's the deal. Look at these kids. Look at the... <laughs> oh, the look, next slide. <laughs> look at... There we go. Look at those kids. Aren't they cute? Those are our children. And they have Vikings shirts on. Anyone? Thank you. <laughs> one. All right. Get one. All it takes is one. All it takes. Uh... So we're going to be talking about, you know, it's uh, weird that one of, my, one of the clients I saw, a couple of clients I saw today, uh, happened to go to a different um, site. I hope this isn't sharing too much. Hopefully it isn't. There are a lot of people out there. Okay. So we've got to watch ethics in our field, uh, confidentiality. But anyway, their, their uh, uh, site uh, is showing nothing but these hot topics. That's their deal, right? So they must have a slightly older uh, population in their church at uh, this particular site. I don't know if they're all doing that. Do you know, Frank? If the, everybody does their own thing at, with uh, Redemption, right? There is another Redemption church tonight doing the parenting. Yeah, and we, I looked it up because they said they had it too, and it's all... Purely by coincidence. Oh, really? Oh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. But, so... Well, what's interesting, though, yeah. What's interesting, though, is that, you know, you guys have the younger set. So what we're going to talk about, especially in those hot topics, is really uh, catered more to, it's catered to you because you, it's preventative stuff, right? I mean, it's stuff that it will be helpful along the way. Right now, maybe you don't have to worry about much of it all that much, and the landscape might change along the way. Uh, but at any rate, uh, it's uh, thankfully not all we're talking about today. Otherwise, we would have missed it big time. Um, <laughs> So here's, here's really our, our uh, outline for the night, and um, one of the biggest uh, pieces of this, uh, I think I'm stepping on your lines here, is the, um, the spectrum, if you can switch that slide. Uh, and, and so this is a basic uh, parenting style spectrum. Does anybody recognize this? It's pretty popular. I mean, it's, it's pretty frontline stuff. Uh, but what we really would like you guys to pay attention to is where am I? Where is my spouse, right, on this spectrum? Because we're going to talk about it uh, a bit more in depth and, and kind of think about, you know, uh, whether or not you, 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 you maybe want to be sliding up or down the spectrum somehow, you know, as we talk about the subject matter. And, and maybe, you know, in the question and answer part, if we get to that later on, you can ask us a little bit more about it if you're curious about where you are. Because it's an interesting sort of thought to, to put your own parenting style on a spectrum, isn't it? It's a bit of a challenge. So anyway. I think the other thing that's helpful about that, too, is just understanding what your parents were like. So even if, you're, if you can't quite figure out where you are, although most of us can, um, thinking about our parents, because a lot of times we're either just like our parents or we're reactionary towards our parents, and we never want to do whatever they did as far as parenting. So that can just be helpful in how it plays a part and how it um, influences marriage, too, and it creates tension or conflict, or sometimes parents are, you know, totally in sync, and, you know, you parent exactly the same. I bet that isn't always the case for many of you, though, and it just creates more um, opportunity for discussion. So 
on the spectrum, I, I wanted to just comment a little bit on that first. We're, we're not spending a ton of time on neglectful parenting because generally speaking, if you were a neglectful parent, you wouldn't be here. So that's probably not any of you, but it's still relevant to talk about. It's not exactly on that spectrum, but it is more that other piece where somebody's absent or emotionally disconnected and just not there. And then we'll unpack each of the others that you can probably figure out where you're at. Um, just another little note on the neglectful parenting. In any of these extreme forms, in terms of neglectful, authoritarian, or permissive that we'll talk about in a second, in their extreme forms, they can be abusive. And so that's not a big focus of our presentation tonight either, but I think it's worth saying that parenting is a huge responsibility, and in, it, in its extreme forms, it can be abusive. And I don't know any of your stories, obviously, but it's a common thing for parents to have for our experiences to be negative in some way and with parents being potentially abusive. In a room this size, even with a fairly small crowd, chances are somebody experienced unhealthy at minimum, but possibly even abusive parenting themselves. So it's great to at least mention that. I don't think it's talked about a ton. Um, maybe in media it is, but not so much in churches. We don't think we talk about abuse enough in churches a lot of times. We want it to be kind of protected, a little bit of a bubble, but it's just as relevant for Christians as anybody else. So, yeah. Do you want to do the next one? Yeah, so uh, d just to back up to, you know, we, we showed you our kids, and I started busting uh, Roxy's chops about when we were going through this presentation, I'm like, we can't just tell story after story about our own kids, because it's annoying. I hate when people do that. And then I started doing the slides. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when we, I got to write that, my kiddo. And oh yeah, there. So uh, we're going to try to keep it to a minimum, our kiddo stories. So please forgive us for the obnoxious kiddo stories before we get going. It's hard to avoid. It really is. Um, so we'll, we'll, you know, that's that's just some of what we draw from. But uh, we also, you know, with our uh, seeing the families and the kiddos in our practice, and throughout the last 20 years working in behavioral mental health, or more, I don't want more than that for me. Um, so uh, we're going to get into the, the the styles a little bit here. So we have the permissive, and and you can kind of read what it says up there. But it's really interesting that you know, kind of the the presentation of a permissive parent. Is, is that friendly person, that friend, that, that person who takes uh, their kiddo everywhere, right? It, it usually latched to them everywhere at kind of maybe places kids shouldn't be seen or it's just a little unusual to see kiddos there, but the kid is there with them. You know, they're at a, you know, a rock concert with them at age three. You know, they're, they're you know, hanging out uh, at the eating part of the bar, you know, right? When, you know, they're three or four. I mean, it's just... It's they're they're very inclusive in terms of what they do with their time and the kiddo, and and a lot of times it presents as uh, really cool, you know, because you see parents they're like, oh my gosh, they are so into their kids, they're with them all the time. How cool is that, right? And and and, and I, I want to be closer to my kid like that. It's really nice, but in, in actuality, when you when you look a little deeper, uh, they're missing some of the the key components to to uh, healthy uh, parenting. And, um, and like it says up there, a lot of times it is a single parent home where you find this and that uh, the, the, the parent is just really kind of overcompensating for the lost parent, the, the other parent not being there. Um, whether they're found or lost, I don't know, who knows. Uh, but they, so the overcompensation kind of looks like this. Come here. <laughs> I can't let you go, right? I can't let you, right? And so that, that's, that's awesome. But it, when the kiddo feels that pressure along the way that... 
I am uh, overburdening you with my friendship and how we go through life together. Uh, they become an adult way too early a lot of times, and that's, that's one of the, the hallmarks of permissive parenting. Uh, it, it really kind of uh, uh, forces the kiddo to be older than what their developmental stage is. And it, it, it really kind of uh, allows them to uh, become a, a, a bit, uh, uh, what entitled is the term? Entitled, you. thank you. A bit, a bit entitled. And so they, you know, the parents aren't going to you know, put up the structure for them or create the structure for them, so they do it themselves. And guess what? That's what they think. Uh, life will be like all the way along, right? Uh, and so it's, there are, there are pluses, like you, you, you'll see up there, there, there we're, we'll get to it a little uh, further up, where there are some strengths to this. Uh, but it's really interesting to see the presentation. I think that's one thing as you guys go along, or if you fall into this category, that you kind of understand, uh, you know, the downsides of it. Do you want to share the, your example? Uh, what is my example? Where it can oh kind yeah. Of pop up. So we have uh, this. Here's a here's the first story. Kiddo story. Actually, it's about our kiddo's friend. So hey, you know, we're kind of. Um, it is. Uh, it, it was a, a a very grueling day. I had the kids by myself for a long time, and we were finally taking. I had several sets of kids. Uh, you know, I can't remember what we did, but it was it was a big day. And I was taking one of the last kids, my our daughter's uh, uh, friend, home. And her mom is probably somebody you'd recognize if you saw her. She's kind of like a local celeb, and uh, so she's a very powerful woman. And you know, and 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 but when it comes to parenting, a little permissive, right? And she's a wonderful person. We love her to death. Uh, but her, the, the little girl is, uh, she's a firecracker and she wants things and she gets things and you're right. And so I was putting her in the booster seat or her and my daughter in the booster seat to do the last leg of kid drop off. And she looks at me and she goes, I am not sitting in the booster seat. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> I am not sitting in here, Terry. And I'm like, yeah, you're sitting in there. You're going to sit in that seat right there and put your... Terry, you make me. She actually said, you make me. And I was like, are you kidding? Really? You're, you're eight years, probably eight or seven yeah, at the time. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm like, okay, you can get out of the car, and we'll drive to your house. It'll tell your mom. You know. So there was a way around it. We, we negotiated. She eventually put it on. But that's the presentation of the entitled sort of things go my way all the time type of child and the result of kind of a, a permissive parent or you can be permissive in certain ways and, and not so in other ways. For this little gal, her mom kind of lets her do a lot of what she wants to do. So thanks for reminding me of the example, Roxy. <laughs> and just so you know, we're not throwing just anybody under the bus. I mean, yeah. I, I, both of us at different points could be on the spectrum. We probably switch at different times. Yeah. I can definitely be permissive. A lot of times when I don't want conflict and I just don't even feel like fighting with the kids, I'm like, whatever, yeah. <laughs> do what you want to do. So I think it really, when you're thinking about styles, it's sort of overall, because I think we were going to say that the, this at the beginning, we didn't. This is not a... a class on perfect parenting because no. that doesn't exist. Uh, we're not perfect. Humans aren't perfect. So perfect parenting doesn't exist. And so it shouldn't be too discouraging. I, I, one of the big, big things that I think is important to remember is that 
really repairing ways that you've kind of broken trust or relationship it is just as important as doing it perfectly. So if you yell at your kids, for example, this is such a common concern in counseling, like, oh my gosh, I'm really blowing it. It's just like my experience growing up. I'm yelling at my kids. Um, of course, we want to try to manage that and figure out what the root is and slow it down. But it's not going to mess up your kids to yell at them, especially if you can repair it and go, you know what, I blew it. That was my mood, not you, you know, and whatever. And that's just good modeling. So I just really encourage you to just keep in mind as you go to each stage, imperfect parenting is okay, but repairing is in the important piece, just like you do with your spouses. You know, there can be ruptures and just and conflict and whatever is happening between you, but the repair is what helps you get through life, basically. It's not, you're not a perfect spouse either. So, um, so the next one, uh, the drill sergeant um, parenting style, uh, it's the authoritarian one. And this kind of speaks for itself. Rigid rules and boundaries, very little flexibility, low tolerance for boundary, break, uh, boundary breaking or rule breaking. Um, punishment is used pretty heavily. Um, it, it offers children very little say in the household plans or, just, or rules. And basically, it's like what I say goes. That's the drill sergeant. And there's low level, tends to be low levels of nurturing and affection um, in its more extreme states. That's the continuum. Um, so every one of us has either been in the military, heard about the military, seen a movie with the military, so that image is really easy to wrap your head around. And this kind of training really does serve a purpose. Even for some kids, it serves a purpose, and it's not all bad. It tends to get, obviously, results of compliance. Uh, it gets results of uniformity, and for a group of people, even some individuals, to kind of toe the line. So. There's not necessarily, it's not all bad. It's just what it tends to do. Now, there are some kids that respond to that authority structure in really negative ways, uh, particularly ones with tender hearts or emotional sensitivity. That doesn't always have to be girls. It could be boys, too. Um, but when you have those tender hearts, you soak in a lot of emotion. Yelling and kind of and rigid rules mean something completely different to that kiddo than um, another kid who might need a little bit of that structure just to kind of help them toe the line because <laughs> they're just sort of all over the place. And you can kind of tell who who like the um, rigid parenting works with or not, or even just if you're a little, like a little bit more structured with one kid, another kid <coughs> in your same family, you need a totally different strategy. Um, <laughs> I, I will, I just, they just pop into my head, I can't help it. But um, Kale, when he was three years old, our oldest, uh, just he never really needed a lot of structure at that age because he was just fairly compliant. We put him in timeout one time. It didn't even have... It didn't even, there wasn't, it wasn't, it was open. It was just by our front door. <laughs> there, wasn't, there was no blockade or anything. And we just sat him there because he'd done something. And he just sat there and went, set me free, set me free. <laughs> and it just cracked us up. I mean, we had to walk away and laugh elsewhere because it just was so funny. <laughs> that he was like three. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so just keeping that in mind, there is, these do serve a purpose, but that leads us to the sort of the next more middle ground um, strategy, the connected parent, or the in clinical language, it's the authoritative. Why they made authoritative and authoritarian sound almost identical, I have no idea, but that's why it's easier to remember the connected parent. 
yeah, so this, this one, you can read some of the, uh, the notes there, but uh, a couple of the key ones, I think, are, are being able to be flexible when necessary with the rules and boundaries. Uh, I think a lot of us get caught up with that, uh, you know, if I say it, it's the way it is. And that's the going to be. And if I flex out of that, uh, I'm doing something wrong because then I'm not a good parent, right? But flexibility in parenting is uh, it's hugely important. In fact, you know, if if you don't have that flexibility, it's one of the hallmarks of you know being that drill sergeant guy or gal. Uh, and uh, so just think about that too as you as you look at your own parenting skills. Um, and then you know another one is uh, uh, the fun that you can have uh, including the kiddos in the development of the family, the planning of the family is so cool if you bring them in and hear their voice and kind of uh, dig into where they're at with whatever, uh, a vacation or the, you know, what color are you going to paint the, the kitchen wall as a highlight or whatever it is, right? Uh, it, 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 it's such a blast because their personalities really come out when you kind of uh, uh, challenge them with thinking about things uh, kind of through your adult lens, and it's just a blast. And 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 we'll I'll t I might probably talk about this a little more later, but it's really the easiest uh, form of parenting, and it's the most effective, uh, it's the most well-rounded, most balanced uh, form. And and when you do it, it becomes rhythmic, and it becomes so much easier than having to be a one or the other end of the spectrum for various reasons. So it's, it's something to keep in, in, in mind, uh, you know, as you look at these and as, as you, we talked about earlier, kind of uh, get to understand where you are in the spectrum, what, what type of parent you are, parenting style. So just to unpack this a little bit more um, in asking a couple of questions, you might have already been thinking, am I more permissive? Am I more of a drill surgeon? Ooh, I kind of land in the middle already. It's just really important to be aware of your strengths and vulnerabilities. And like I mentioned before, too, even if you fall into one category, on a rough day, you could kind of flip to the other side. You know, you've never been a drill sergeant in your life, and all of a sudden you're like towing the line all of a sudden with your kids. So just kind of keeping in mind where you need to balance, even in a particular day, is helpful. Um, and I think I, I asked a little bit earlier, and, and I saw some heads nod. It, raise your hand if you went into parenting thinking you would do something different than how you were raised. I'll raise my hand. Yeah. So I think we all go into, the, into parenting thinking, oh, I'm going to do this differently, and I didn't like that, and I'm going to do this. And I, I think that's helpful. It's helpful information, but I think the irony is the longer you're a parent, the more like your parents you actually become, and you'll just catch yourselves going, that is not anything I ever wanted to say, and I just said it. Yeah. <laughs> so just all that awareness and having these discussions with your spouse and, and having fun with it and not taking it too seriously and just kind of recognizing, okay, yeah, let's round off the edges of some of our negative experiences, but let's do the things that were helpful for us too. So... Uh, we're looking at the uh, the drill sergeant, and we're looking at, uh, we talked earlier, we're going to kind of, uh, you know, show you some strengths and areas of growth with each of these, just to, to get an idea of, of uh, not only, you know, how, how to balance it out or where you can kind of look to to, to maybe uh, slide one way or the other down the, the spectrum, if you feel. We're not telling you how to do one thing or the other, but if you feel. Um, you know, the... the, the, the the, the rules thing with the structure, and I mentioned that earlier, and I know my dad had, uh, you know, his saying was, uh, I'm probably dating myself, because I don't know if uh, parents say this anymore, but 
Um, you know, it's my way or the highway, right? Do you remember, right? We're on the same, it's my way or the highway, and that's it. Right? And what about no, right? And you can't, that, that, nothing. I mean, all my friends, I, I had to be in at 9.30 on weekends when I was in 12th grade. <laughs> 9.30. My friends weren't needing to be in at 9.30 on the weekends when I was in 12th grade, not even close. He would not budge, would not budge. And I, it just, it was insane when you're talking about, you know, what we would do differently. That was one of them. I'm like, I won't let my kids, we haven't found that out yet because they're oldest 14. I'm probably not going to be that liberal, but I am not going <laughs> to. That strict or uh, that liberal? That, well, let them stay out all night. Yeah, you know, you're going to say exactly the same thing. I might turn said. into my dad <laughs> at that point. Um, don't quote me on any of this. Uh, so it, 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 it's it's a it's a fascinating personality. There there is a book. Now this is an extreme example, uh, a book slash movie. Has anybody seen the Great Santini? Anyone? Anyone? It's an older movie. It is awesome, and you can look at this parenting style in a really authentic, gruesome sort of. I mean, it's not gruesome is the wrong word. Mm -hmm. It powerful. It is mm -hmm. a powerful uh, rendition of this. Uh, type of parenting style. It has Robert Duvall and a couple other people. Uh, it's just a, a really, really good movie about a, a, a Marine uh, officer and his son. And uh, do yourself a favor, Netflix it, and Netflix it, Netflix it, whatever that is, get it. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's just, it'll show you kind of, again, it's the extreme of the extreme. So, but I think it, uh, it was up or won a couple of Academy Awards or whatever. It's an awesome movie. And I think one of the points there, too, is if you do find yourself being more of that drill sergeant, I think the areas of growth would be increasing empathy and emotional connection with your child because you can help your children toe a line. And if maybe you are sort of that tough person that has that structure and rules, just rounding off the edges by building in more of that emotional connection so that you also have some playtime, you also have some downtime with your kid, um, making sure your structure isn't so rigid that the child either develops um, kind of perfectionistic tendencies out of compliance or just flat out rebellion down the road. You, you can usually get kids to comply between the ages of <laughs> yours are younger than five, so yeah. the, the compliance is out of the question. You're just trying to help them settle down. Um, but between five and 12, it's kind of called the honeymoon stage of childhood, and that's why it's school age, and they tend to follow rules and structure. They're out of the terrible twos and the threes, and they, when they get to school, they have even a little bit more structure. So generally, kids in that age range are fairly compliant, and then the wheels come off at about... <laughs> Well, yeah. sometimes a little earlier, but certainly that's why teens get such a bad rap because the wheels kind of start to come off at that point. So, um, and, and just yeah. something I thought of too, you know, we see a lot of uh, people come in with their, their parents are, are by and large pretty healthy parents, but, uh, but in terms of their spiritual belief and Christianity, they are uh, authoritarian to the hilt. Right, mm -hmm. and what that causes is somebody who doesn't, a kid that doesn't want to go to church or believe in anything. Right, we see it over and over and over again, and it's just so scary. And you know, it's 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 a hard one to maneuver when your kid has thoughts outside of what whatever your belief system is. Uh, but I guarantee you, if 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 you're flexible in that area in terms of understanding where they're at and answering their tough questions and not telling them and not taking the Bible and bonking them on the head for the answer. 
it, it's it's going to take you a long way, and you'll probably have you know really solid, uh, spiritually sound uh, kids, uh, at least in that area. It's uh, so just a, a little note on that. Yeah, that's a great point. So, what do you do if you and your spouse have different parenting styles? That's a good question to ask. Um, I won't. Put, it's too you, small of should, a crowd. No, no, it's too small on, of a crowd to up. put that's it. No. Um, so, one of the good things is you might balance each other out, especially if you love each other and you're committed to working through that conflict and and coming up with a way to be united in your parenting. Um, and you can learn from the other person's style, and that that can be really helpful. So that's a strength. The areas of growth would include working towards that united front. Um, trying to manage that conflict outside of the view of the kids because otherwise you get kind of triangulated in. One parent's a good parent, and then you have the bad parent. And so you've got like that good cop, bad cop thing going on. Sometimes that can be helpful unless it's always the pattern, and then one, one parent's authority just falls off. And then, the only, it, then, you're, then you're in trouble because when the, when, the, um, when the parent who has the structure and kind of says what, whatever they say goes and they leave, then this parent doesn't get the respect that they need from the kids or compliance or whatever. Yeah, so. with, just with this to add to that triangulation, yeah. it's, you know, it's a, a clinical term of sorts, but uh, it, what I do with my, my folks uh, who are having problems with the kid, I'm like, are you like this or like this, you know? And, and they can tell really just by that little hand signal where we kind of, no, we're more like, you know? If once, once this happens with the triangulation, one parent's got this view, another parent has that view, and the kiddo's down here, who has all the power? The kiddo has the power. And once you realize that we're offering the kid all the power in this uh, little triangle in our, in our uh, you know, development of them or our struggle in a certain area with them, uh, you know, unless you're like this, good luck. Because they're gonna, they're just gonna, uh, especially when it comes to the, those hot topics that we're gonna talk about, mm -hmm. it, it becomes really, really difficult if you guys see things differently and are verbalizing them and acting those things out differently in front of the kid. Uh, if if you're going to have that difference, it, it, go and talk about it. Come back as a unified front, even if, you know, it might be you know you being a little more flexible than you, <laughs> than you want to be, because a lot of those hot topics we just yeah sometimes we have to. To, to give a little bit or a lot and you know for the sake of of having that uh, you know solid you know, unified sort of front yeah it's worth working it out so then the, the other concern would be what if you have the same parenting style so it's pretty unusual to get two drill sergeants because one drill sergeant will overpower the other so there's still a hierarchy there usually um, yeah. but you could you could have pretty rigid highly structured two parent families and generally they have really good kids with a lot of compliance at least for a period of time so it's kind of like what I was saying earlier. It kind of depends on the developmental age of the kid. Um, but then problems start to show up, usually after, sometimes even after the kids leave the home. Um, and then the wheels could come off. But generally, that extreme parenting just doesn't give kids the other things that they need. Emotional nurturing, connection, all of that good stuff that we've talked about. Um, so you would have less conflict if you had to say, and, it, and likewise, if you have two permissive parents, that's actually a much more common dynamic. Um, especially when, you, when two permissive parents are reacting to really um, heavy-handed parenting that they experienced. Um, the truth is you'll have less conflict as a couple, uh, but it can be, especially with the two permissive parents, it can create a lot of uh, chaos in the family because yeah. then, you, then you're constantly trying to put in structure um, after the fact. <laughs> So yeah, then and it kind gets of a, really tough. Kind of a weird, sick way because we do what we do. The permissive parents, the two permissive parents are really kind of 
humorous to watch. It's entertaining in the sense that they, they almost always uh, try to out-permissive the other permissive parent. So there's this permissive, I'm more permissive than you struggle going on. And then, and then, and then they start blaming each other for being too permissive. Though you, you let him do all the, what do I, well, you let, you let. And then there's this argument about who is the most permissive. And uh, it just, it goes nowhere. And, and another, another point here, too, is that um, if you have, and you're kind of touching on it, if you have uh, somebody on, on an extreme, uh, the likelihood uh, of the other person moving down to the other side is really huge. So you have this uh, drill sergeant, and they're just, you know, it's, it's their way of the highway uh, type of, of parenting. Uh, the other person's, uh, you know, in nature, uh, human nature kind of uh, logically will go, well, I'm going to uh, give them the space and the comfort uh, that they need, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to over, uh, overly coddle them or whatever. So you got to watch out for that, too, like, just more of the overcorrection. Yep. And I'm not sure if this next slide made it in here. So if it didn't, Stephanie, that's okay. But um, what if I'm a single parent? And I don't know if there's any single parents out there, but this might be relevant either from family of origin stuff or just friends that you might have. Um, the good news is you don't have to worry about a different parenting style, at least when you're with your kids, if you're just alone with them. But sometimes you have to co-parent, and a lot of times you start seeing those splits with co-parenting, because there's already conflict going on, and um, there's just that real strong split. So one parent tends to be more permissive, another parent tends to put more structure, or a lot of times what you see in, in, in those kind of split situations is a neglectful parent as well. So you can just get all of those combinations, but you can kind of start to see just how the chaos starts can happen. Um, so, and I would say too, for anybody in a single parent situation, I just wanted to make a comment. It's really, really hard and they can get beat up a lot, but if you know single parents or you are one, lots of self-care and just lots of family and friends, try to build up your social support network because it is hard um, and it's, it's worth it to get your own oxygen. So, and if you know, if you have friends who are single parents, Love on them, because it, it is a challenge to do that, especially if there is a co-parenting situation at, that's, that has a lot of tension, yeah. so. Yeah. Gender and personality differences is the next one, and um, it's interesting. We, we tend to talk in generalities still, even, even in new generations with, between boys and girls, and, and I do think there's some truth to that. I think, in general, boys need different things than girls growing up, but people can be non-stereotypical as well. So you can have these generalities and it's helpful to think, well, boys need this, maybe boys need activity to kind of work things out, or girls need you know, to be able to talk through their emotions. But I, but I think it's just important to go, okay, yeah, that's one possibility, but there's individual differences. Some boys need to be able to talk their feelings out and some girls need activity. So people don't always fall in line in those kind of gender stereotypes. The more important thing is just to understand personality differences. Um, maybe your oldest child contains more emotion because they feel responsible for siblings or they just have more roles of responsibility in general. Maybe your child internalizes emotions. And you can even start to pick this up at two years old and three years old. You generally know if you're if your kid, you can kind of think through your guys' lens with your young kids, what, do they act out their emotion and get kind of wild? Or do they kind of shut down and like need a nap or something like that? So that's just a general way for really young kids to kind of know, do they internalize or they externalize emotion? Um, 
maybe they need to walk and talk or walk to kind of work things out, you know, if, especially if they're not kind of processing all that stuff yet, if they're too young. Um, a lot of times you can tell at two or three if your kid needs food before they really can have any sort of regular conversation or if they need rest. Um, like their mom. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm really bad if I don't have food. Um, it, and sometimes kids need to feel the weight of consequences. Some of you might have kids that need that uh, discipline. They need that consistent time out to even just start towing the line. Otherwise, they just get kind of chaotic, and then they feel the lack of structure. So it's really more about understanding those individual differences. And your first kid's probably not going to be like your second kid, and your third kid's probably not going to be like your second kid. <laughs> I, at least that's not our personal experience, but even just in talking to families, lots and lots of families over the years, um, generally, siblings are not alike. They, they, there's at least some differences in how they process emotion, what they need from parents. Or, or po polar opposites. In or a lot polar of opposites sometimes. Yeah. Sure. Um, the, did, did you have a story about Benny and academics oh, uh, well, I, coming up? I, not academics, but I was actually going to share um, just on the emotional side, especially with your young kids. Uh, we have our, our youngest is nine now, but when she was younger, um, even two, three, and then really early, like at six, she had just some medical stuff, um, different things. And, and in first grade, she had a more significant medical thing. So she already had some anxiety about doctor's appointments and things like that and uh, needed a surgery. And it was so interesting to watch her personality because she's very bubbly. But when it came to going to the doctor, she went completely mute. I've never seen a kid in live person. I mean, I talk about it and see it all the time in counseling, but not so much just in that in-person environment. She went completely mute like she did. She had no language. She would not talk in front of a doctor or a nurse. She wouldn't answer questions. I had to kind of intervene. I'm like, I promise she talks. <laughs> um, it was just a very strange experience to watch all of that and recognizing, wow, this is anxiety in this little bitty kiddo. And so we did some things to try to figure that out. And one of the most, the cutest thing that I remember was getting in the car finally um, after a particular doctor's appointment and nonstop, I think we were about 30 minutes from home, nonstop, I kid you not, not even a breath, whoosh, like a blow by blow, play by play of everything that she had experienced in that doctor's appointment for the last, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes or whatever, in her little kid language, of course. But I thought, wow, that is such an interesting example of what she needed to, to work that through. And um, I just encourage you to watch for those things. Watch for how your kid in a more intense emotional environment, might not be medical, it could be something else. What do they do with it? And what do you, you know, how do you handle it? So... It's just a good example of, it, she's definitely internalizer, and then she needs to get it out some way. <laughs> um, and then the connecting uh, parenting, connected parenting, sorry. Um, so this is back to the uh, authoritative style, valuing uh, the individual differences for each of your kids, knowing your child's holistic way, head, heart, body, soul. So we're gonna go through the those parts, the head, heart, body, soul. Um, and, and, and you know, again, this is, uh, you know, I always think of uh, how people sometimes, parents sometimes miss the boat in studying their kids and observing their kids and having fun with that. You know, it's kind of easy when you're at your first kid and they're like, you know, you, you don't know, you're, it's a little human being that just came out of you or your wife and you're like, what the, 
And how, wow, that's, you know, but as they get older, then, you know, naturally we, we tend to lose a little interest on that being the, uh, like, the observationist. It's, I want to kind of study this little creature and growing up. Um, it's if, if you get into that and make it part of your day-to-day -day thing and and uh, a lot of people keep journals on their kids and how they develop it's a blast man it's a, it's just kind of a, a fun little thing to do and you will just have this emotional connection that you never dreamed of if you're really into kind of understanding them at that deeper level as they move along in their developmental stages um, and uh, so uh, Let's see. Um, what, go ahead. Did you want to just jump into head? Yeah. I can comment on that real yeah, quickly. Um, I, a lot of us, I think, so, okay, if you're under five, you're probably not doing school age, but I think a lot of times we do pay attention to development and kind of the, the head part of our kids. Are they doing what they need to? What are their interests in activities? Are they meeting their developmental milestones? Are they walking? Are they talking? Are they forming sentences? Are they, if they've gone to school already, are they doing well in school? Are they learning? So I think we generally, as parents, have head covered um, in fact, I think we sometimes overemphasize it a little bit and not look at some of the other things. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on some of the others that get missed. Yeah. Um, I did just, just, just a comment on the uh, knowing their interests. You know, uh, back to our daughter, I, I, I've been neglectful in telling my kids stories. Um, she, anybody know what slime is? Slime? Anyone? Anyone? Slime? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> With the eye See? roll. <laughs> If you could just, here's what it looked like, <laughs> right? So our daughter's, uh, she's nine, right? And, and she, she doesn't do sports. She's crafty. She's a crafty girl. Even though she calls herself a sporty girl. She's never played a sport in her life. Um, she runs. <laughs> but she, she's, yeah. Uh, anyway, but she's a crafty girl. Well, what crafty girls do is make slime nowadays. And it is the single most messy, uh, annoying uh, thing that a parent could ever experience. Um, it's right up there with stepping on a Lego. I mean, it, you know, it's sad. <laughs> and it, 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 it gets all over the place. And, 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 and it's just, we, we sit back and we go, Benny, you are the cutest little girl ever in the history of the world, but you are driving us friggin' Can I say friggin' in church? Anyway. As long as you keep Gosh it to darn that. Gosh <laughs> darn it, it, because it's everywhere. I'll clean, Dad. I'll clean, Daddy. I'll clean. I promise I'll clean. She never, ever. She tries a little bit here and there. So we end up cleaning it up. But that's, you know, that's paying attention to their special interests, right? I mean, we, we could easily cut that out. We could cut that off. We could just say, it's, it's, we're not, we buy it, we go to the store, too, where there's, it's, no, Benny, no more, right? No more, no more slime. We can't do any more slime. We literally have, like, at least, 20 pounds of slime in our house as we speak. I a don't lot of it. Think it's that much. And um, it, it, it gives her so much joy to make that slime that if we were to not pay attention to that spe special interest and c cultivate that any way we can, as annoying as it is, um, you know, how, just think of the, you know, the, the, the growth, the excuse me, the development that would be stunted in there, right? Yeah. And she just gets to, to be herself, and it's awesome and messy. Um, let's see, you get the hard part. For those of you that are drill sergeants, you can come over to our house afterwards. Oh my gosh, yeah. Just kinda <laughs> get them to clean? <laughs> yeah. That'd be great. 
but speaking of even more of the emotional side, I know I've mentioned that quite a bit. We already talked about internalizing or externalizing emotion where you either stuff it or you act it out. Um, but one thing I think that is super helpful that I, I use all the time in the counseling world, and maybe you guys already do it, but a lot of times anger, um, irritability, or frustration are really kind of cover-up emotions or umbrella emotions, and that's generally not the real thing going on. That's just like the safer one that you put out there for kids, for adults, all of that. So really, it's helpful as quick as you can to get to the vulnerable emotion underneath. And a lot of times that's fear, worry, insecurity, needing to be held or understood. And if you don't think that's relevant in parenting, I'll try to apply it in your marriage because it, that's the other place it comes up. It helps repair any of that conflict. What's the emotion underneath? Well, you did this and I feel angry. Ugh. Well, what's underneath all of that? You know, there's usually something that's more vulnerable than anger or irritation. Um, and that's true for kids, too. Um, they can get really mad, especially with siblings. They can get mad at each other. But then what's underneath that? Well, I felt left out or... Um, my big brother's picking on me, and I wish that he it was more like it used to be, something like that. There's something vulnerable underneath. So it's mm -hmm. really worth it for us as parents and spouses to find those emotions. And we just don't have a lot of ways in our society to figure some of that out. Um, we don't tend to really emphasize feelings language. Um, it can feel a little bit too feminine sometimes, but it's really helpful. It's kind of the glue that keeps things moving. And when you get stuck in kind of a cognitive or intellectual battle, generally, if you switch it to feeling language, it helps work things through. So just keeping that in mind, just for families in general, it's really, really huge. Um, did any of you growing up here, I'll give you something to cry about, or you can't cry over spilled milk, or knock it off, or for those men in the room, boys don't cry, or you need to knock it off. Um, even if you didn't, maybe you guys are young enough, you actually had some healthier parenting along the way. I'm not sure. That's good, though. Um, but the truth is, those kinds of phrases, without any kind of backing that up or involving any other emotional world, can really shut the valve off of emotions, or, or worse, create shame around emotion. And then people start thinking, well, something's wrong with me. I shouldn't cry. I can't let it show if I'm hurt. If I cry, I'm bad. Um, once you have sort of those mantras going on in your head, it becomes really, really hard to get to those vulnerable emotions. And a lot of us just shut them off and just have strategies as adults to figure it out. And they generally don't work relationally all that great. So it's just good to kind of see what you're doing and what you're feeling and expressing that. So... Not sure what you guys think about that, but maybe, maybe your parents did emphasize that a little bit more. And if they did, great. And if, even if they didn't, you can do that with your own families. Even starting as young as two, three, four. Feelings language is huge. One of the, our favorite books, it's not even really a clinical book, but um, is it just I Feel or oh, Feeling? Yeah. I, I yeah. can't remember, but you probably get it on Amazon or anything like that. But just super simple, really fun little pictures for two, three, four-year-old. Great for bedtime stories. And it just, it's basically these pictures and colors of feelings and having a character show it on their face. And that kind of language, or even just feeling charts when you have the different faces, it helps, it helps kids express themselves, and it helps adults express themselves too. So I can't tell you how many times I get out a funny little feeling chart with faces with adults, and we just start from scratch. And a lot of times it's like, I feel fine. 
fine is not a feeling. <laughs> fine is just a state. It's not a feeling. So generally, it's something else. <laughs> yeah, and for any of you with uh, little boys or planning on having little, little boys, you are uh, helping them in a huge way by uh, allowing them to understand what their emotions are because we see a lot of adult men who have no clue how to tap into their emotional side. I mean, it is... It is uh, if you have to learn it, it's one of those things, if you have to learn it later on in life, uh, it's extremely difficult, especially in relationship, uh, because when they're be being poked and prodded uh, w with their emotions, and then uh, also having to understand the emotions coming at them in relationship, it goes for, you know, parenting too, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's really hard to, to take those corrective measures. So it, be proactive and let your little boy start learning about their emotions as much as possible. It's, it's, it's awesome. And then moving on to the body slide, um, this, you know, the, the big part of this, you know, considering how they, they manage their bodies uh, with stress and conflict was just similar to the emotional side of things, but um, they need some sort of outlet, you know. Uh, most kids, you know, we're going to touch on the video game stuff. A lot of kids nowadays, you know, they, they turn to that. It is it it is an outlet, uh, but it's not, uh, you know, a physically demanding outlet. Um, so it, it has uh, uh, different benefits and, and downsides to it. So if you can find, if you can help them find, and, and, and here's another thing, too. A lot of us want, you know, I played football and baseball when I was in high school, so my kid's going to play, right? It was a kid just like you. That is like me. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm sharing it. I know. Um, thankfully, I have one who <laughs> I have one kid who likes to play sports. I know. Um, and so, if it's your agenda and you're pushing what you want to do, Roxy, you have horror stories about mo what did you piano lessons, ice skating lessons, uh, ballet lessons. Uh, what else did you, you had? Everything. Uh, I wasn't good at any of them. Yeah, and it was one <laughs> after the other after the other. Guess who wanted to be all these things? Phyllis, her mom. And to this day, she'll say, I could have been a great ballerina. Well, you know, you try, <laughs> tried to get Roxy to do it. That didn't work. It's actually pretty clumsy. I'm just... You know. It's true. Uh, so... <laughs> Low blood uh, sugar, clumsy. Yeah. This was never going to happen. <laughs> but 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 make sure we're, we're finding things that you know. As a sporty guy, I you know, Kale was just not into sports. And you know, he plays football right now, but he could care less about football. He's only doing it for the chicks, I think. I'm not sure. He's 14. He's not you know. And and so, but otherwise, you'll tell you flat out. Um, if I play until I'm a junior, he's pretty decent at it. He's not like a superstar or anything. He's a big kid. He's you know, he's fairly fast, but. You just get, that's hard as a parent. I'm like, really? You don't like football? You don't like, you don't want to watch a game with me? Really? Okay. <laughs> Gotta let that go. Right? It's hard. So, uh, it, you know, it, f helping them find their own, their own interests, their own outlets uh, uh, in terms, he loves to bike. That's his deal. He's like, gets on his bike and he goes, you know? And that's really cool. He's, get, he's, letting, it, he's letting it out. Another thing, too, here is really interesting is this uh, neuroscience part. Uh, so the left-right movement, does anybody in regulating the, uh, uh, and processing um, uh, emotions, anybody ever heard of EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy? Okay. It's, it's kind of the same thing, but you get to do it on your own. So what happens is we have this, bi I'm not going to go too far into it, we have bilateral stimulation when we do things like this, two tap, 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 right? Same thing as this. Well, guess what? We do when we do this, right? We're on the treadmill or we're playing sports or, you know, we're dribbling a basketball, left, right, left, right, playing hockey, left, right, left, whatever we do. 
Uh, and so it has that added benefit when they get out there and they're active uh, to, to let it out, especially if they are have, they're struggling with something in their life and, and they have that outlet. And they're adding that ladder, or that layer of bilateral stimulation. It's it's pretty stinking awesome. And they're, they're, we're just understanding the science of that, you know, within the last 15 years or so. So it's it's relatively new stuff. Yes. Well, and just adding to that for your kids because they're young. That's that's actually true for little kids. Just for just with anybody. So even drumming activities or coloring activities yeah. um, that can help regulate kids. When they're two or three, you know, it might only happen for five minutes or less, right. but that's okay. Still it still just helps the brain process. And I think it's, it's it seems like it's a no-brainer, like, well, haven't we always been doing those kinds of things? But I think when you kind of know what's happening in the brain and that it actually helps your whole system feel a little different, it's good. So, yeah. Um, and then just on the soul part of it, you know, obviously you guys are here at church and faith is an important part for you with your kids. And really the connected parenting aspect of this is just kind of getting to know your child's interaction with God and faith. You know, how does, how do they experience God? What kinds of activities help them grow? Um, are you comfortable having conversations? And I really think this is true even just from a young age. I actually thought having conversations about God with two, three, and four-year-olds are probably the most powerful conversations you can have. Uh, they could be actually quite profound, and I think there's a lot to be said about the faith of a child and what that looks like and how different it is from our own experiences, um, especially as you get cynical or, you know, just adult lenses without all of that innocence. Um, and I, the more connected your parenting is, the easier your child will have it to even have faith or trust in God. That's really how faith grows. That's through that relationship. For any of you that had more um, difficult parents for yourself, it's harder to have that faith. If you had an absentee dad, it's hard to trust God as a father. Um, I, I know and have talked with lots and lots of women over the years that ha didn't have good dads. Either they were absent or possibly even abusive. And when that happens, seeing God as father or even, um, even the male figure of Jesus is very hard. So you're doing, a dis you're doing your kids a service by having a connected, trusting relationship with them because they will have a space that grows in their heart for God. Um, because they generally feel like they can trust somebody, they can feel safe, they can feel connected. And when you don't feel those things growing up, that makes it that much harder to have that and that faith in God. So just, just a quick comment on that. Uh, Frank would do a better job of unpacking all the spiritual side of it, but um, I just think that's the little bit of psychology that goes into the development of faith. So, so the hot topics, yeah. you know, obviously we're still going to respect the time and kind of and, and wrap up. So I, th I think it actually is appropriate that we're just touching on these. Obviously, there's one slide for each one. You could spend a whole hour, two hours, a whole day seminar on these topics. But I think because you guys have pretty young kids, we'll just try to connect in that way. These things are probably nothing that you're worried about with your current kids right now. But you may hear about it in the news. You may have nephews. You may have nieces. You may have friends of... Uh, um, that are in these categories. These tend to become more of an issue when kids get a little older, certainly tweens, and then for sure teenagers, and then college students. Um, obviously, that's way down the road, but 
these are not just even hot topics, they're current. And it's your kid, you can protect your kid, and right now they're in little bubbles where you know exactly where they are at all times. For the, some of you, they're right over there. <laughs> um, but once they start breaking out of that bubble, you just don't have as much say over who, who what they're being influenced by, what they are exposed to. Um, so it's worth it to kind of think ahead, and not, like you said earlier, the preventative side. Yeah, it, it's 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 really the the scare, in our estimation. Anyway, it's the scariest, uh, most frustrating, most challenging part of parenting. Uh, this stuff right here. Um, you know, as our oldest is uh, you know, fourteen, just turned fourteen not too long ago. Uh, it it man, you know, you hear about the teen stuff, and he's a good little doobie, man. He's a great kid, honor roll, straight A, great kid. Never, we barely ever disciplined him. We never even helped him with his homework. I mean, he's just, he's a, but all of a sudden, you get this little teen angst coming out. You get, you know, you got, you got the phone. You got what they call them, screenagers, right? Mm -hmm. You got the, oh, Kale, what, Dad, what? I'm on my phone. And you're like, really? So you're, you're these struggles that you have that you don't even see coming, and, and man, it's real. Uh, in, and we hear a lot of the horror stories mm -hmm. uh, in the, um, in the office uh, with the kiddos. I work with teen boys a lot, and uh, it, it gets pretty ugly out there. So, preventative. Uh, general tips? Well, behaviors that are out of character for, and again, you guys don't have teens, but just the little kids, you just know when something has gone on. You wanna look for that easily angered or frustration. Things are out of character for your kid. Isolation, um, new colorful language, hanging out with different friends, that's a little older. Moodiness, academic decline. Um, for little, little kids, um, it, it's still behavior changes, but it's just developmental uh, behavior changes. So. Tantrum. In preschools, it can look like a, the kid who's biting every other kid, not always, but sometimes, or it could be um, just getting dysregulated all the time or feeling really anxious. And some of the, sometimes those are just normal developmental stages. Other times, if they're persistent and they're over time and they can't be corrected, they can be signs that there's something going on for that kid. And you guys probably run into it just out and about. You know, maybe your kids are feeling safe and secure and they're okay, but there are kids, your kids' age, that are really struggling because they've had really hard experiences. Um, for any of you, I don't know, who are doing fostering or adoption or anything like that, um, little, little ones can have really rough exposure early on, and they don't have any verbal words for it, and they can't tell you their story, but if you read on paper what they've experienced, you know that it's affected their little hearts. So attachment is real, and um, a lot of times, even with young adoption and fostering, there's some of those early attachment disruptions that can be, that, that need to be paid attention to. Um, and so you can see those signs, even with little kids. Yeah, even like in vitro uh, trauma. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. They're finding out that is, mm -hmm. you know, can cause behavioral problems down the line and manifests itself in strange ways, you know, potentially. So mm -hmm. if you, any of you had birthing issues, um, not to freak you out or anything, but. Yeah, um, that sounded really like, what? Well, I'm a guy. What do I know? <laughs> Um, if there was trauma in your uh, in your birth experience, it's helpful for you for for sure for the family to work it out for you to work it out. But then also uh, down the road, looking for signs that your your kid just maybe feels anxious or whatever, um, it's possible that they could have experienced some of that trauma too. 
just in their little kid way. Yeah, they actually use EMDR on uh, infants. Uh, can't even walk yet. We've seen some incredible film on, uh, they use a little buzzy for the bilateral stimulation for uh, birthing trauma. And they say, tuck them in their little socks and they let them crawl around and they're, and they're playing with stuff. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so suicide, uh, you know, here we go with the, the fun stuff. Uh, is, you know, the, I don't know, maybe You're I didn't get into this all that much. Do, do you guys, are you guys all that interested? No. No, she is not. No. You hear no in the background. So just read this slide. I'll get, do, do, yeah, do, maybe, do. maybe a more relevant way of just addressing it is that childhood depression is real, so that's on the younger set. Uh, obviously, suicide is highly unlikely with, with young kids, but in more traumatized areas, and maybe as Christians, you kind of be thinking about this, this isn't necessarily relevant to your own parenting, but for any outreach that you might be doing. When you're in areas um, that are traumatized as a culture, whether that's here in the US or whether that's overseas, um, kids can experience a lot of dysregulation, including depression, including post-trauma symptoms. And so maybe that's the relevant piece, you know, not sure where, what you're up to these days, but I just think as Christians, it's important to be aware that these things are real and we can help hurting hearts in all of these different areas. So, you know, arm yourselves with the information that you need, given whatever your ministries are, your families and friends and, um, you can do some of the research on each of these different topics and, and figure out what's relevant for you and what, uh, what kind of relationships you have with that. So I think that might be actually a better way of, of, of handling job, it. And, and bullying, too. Um, so let's actually do... So, so those are the hot topics, bullying, addictions, um, and, and suicide. We won't address those in great detail, but let's talk about electronics and social media because... If you have one-year-olds or two-year-olds or three-year-olds, are probably better on a tablet or a smartphone than you are or ever were. Um, kids they're really just, young, Roxy. Kid, they're, they're the ones that are good. Yeah, they, are, yeah, they, they actually are, are probably really good. Um, but yeah, we, we just are growing up totally differently now. Uh, it's a digital age. Everybody uh, can use computers, smartphones, tablets. Um, so you end up starting to even think at a young age, how, how much exposure are you going to give your kids to tablets? Are you going to set limits? Are you going to um, put some barriers around it, some structure, um, filters, I think, are a big question and conversation, and what are you going to do in your household? We've used some that we weren't so thrilled with. We have one that we like now. You, can, you guys are probably way better at it than us, actually, because we did not grow up in the digital age. So, but I think those things are really relevant and helpful for you and your spouse to talk about and just go, what do we want to do in our family with um, the internet, rules, um, and exposure to electronics? So, it, because it, I think the no electronics is unreasonable. It's not going to happen, and it, it's, they're, they're here to stay. <laughs> so, it's how are we going to use them responsibly? So. Well, and one thing uh, that you don't want to have happen is to get caught off guard with some of the stuff. Um, in other words, you know, you're, you got a, an eight-year-old or whatever, and you're thinking, well, I, I don't have to worry about the phone for a while. Next thing you know, they're asking for a phone and putting a hard press on you to get a phone. You're like, well, I'm not prepared to talk to you about this yet, right? Be prepared to talk to them about the, the, the technology and, uh, you know, 
Well, it's super interesting, actually. I didn't even tell you this because yeah. we didn't have a chance to talk about it. But my one of my best friends just texted me today and said, a friend of a friend's five-year-old just got exposed to a, um, a preview on, on DirecTV or whatever it was uh, of porn with images. And uh, she doesn't know what to do. <laughs> and I don't know what to tell her. <laughs> do you have thoughts? And I basically said, I don't know. It's really, it's really hard to say. I don't know that family. I don't know the kid. Um, five is really young. So it's sort of like, is there any understanding of even what they saw? But there was some language that the five-year-old shared that clearly the images were a little more graphic than anybody would want to expose a five-year-old to, but probably zero context for what it is. So then I do think it's relevant to have a conversation about safe images and unsafe images or inappropriate images and, and what we do with that. As and, and can they feel safe enough and normalized enough if the exposure happens to come and tell you about it. Um, and then, then you start managing your filters a little differently, right? I mean, I, it just, I, honestly, it feels like, it seems so crazy that that stuff is so prolific and so easy to access. And it seems like you've got filters and you've got everything, but it just, I don't know. I, we hear more and more of earlier and earlier exposure. And a lot of times it's accidental, just like that. Um, but. Worse, obviously, if it's not accidental and kids are exposed because it really changes their brains. So, yeah, it, it, and I think you know there's this interconnection between uh, electronics and social media and human sexuality that you you, you can't avoid as a, as a parent. You have to actually confront as a parent early on. And we made a decision to talk to our our uh, kiddos at ten. Uh, you know, have the talk right at ten. And our friends are like, man, that's early. And I'm like, no, I've been on a, I've been on a field trip with my nine-year-old. It ain't early. It's not early. Trust me. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's scary. So, you know, and that's part of the reason us being involved in school and doing activities and stuff uh, really kind of uh, helped us set up the structure for the timeline, some of these timelines. So, again, mm -hmm. the more involvement, the, the better understanding you have for kind of the, finding the logical way to go Yeah, because I think if, if it, it was up to us, we would have easily said teenagers are fine. Like, just, you know, wait till 13, 14. Right. It, like, if, it, when we first were parents, <clears throat> I think that's probably what we would have said. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I remember the field trip you came home and you said, okay, the kids are talking about it. So, yeah. <laughs> we need to put our... Fourth we, grade, I yeah. think it was... Uh, you said uh, we need yeah. to put our stamp on it and kind of let this come from us and not just be dictated by peers. So, bus ride, Grand Canyon, and back. <laughs> Fourth graders, you hear a lot of stuff. Um, and 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 uh, but the 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 talk and uh, getting that out and is one thing. It's nerve wracking. I was as nervous as the oldest, you know, uh, as he was. Uh, he just kind of had that talk. This is hilarious. He couldn't even look me in the eye. It was so funny. But he had to be there. Uh, he was really embarrassed about the whole thing. But we got it out. We did it. And um, and it was hard for both of us. But we loved it. We hugged. And it was beautiful. And But you know what? That's the only the first step, right? Mm -hmm. you got to continue the talk, which is sometimes harder than the initial talk. You're like, how are you doing? Well, you know, stuff. You know? And you're like... Dad, why don't you just say it? Okay, you know, you got you got to continue it. Other and it gets easier and easier yeah. as you do it, um, which is it's a beautiful thing, you know. And 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 Kale, he's not a talkative guy. Our middle child, Pax, he is. He will. It, we've had the talk. He's come up to us and asked us a few things, and we're like, whoa, 
okay. We're, we're doing this. Okay, let's go. And it's, uh, but it's beautiful. He wouldn't have done that had we not at 10, you know, kind of shared some of these things with him. Um, well, and just to say, you've made a huge improvement from your own experience when oh you gosh. got the talk at 22. My dad l literally <laughs> sprained his ankle on a, on a hike, and so I sat back with him up at Four Peaks. <laughs> and he's like, so, Sean, how are you and your girlfriend doing, if you know what I mean? I'm like, are we really <laughs> 22? I was 22. Uh, he, he wanted to go there with me. Um, let's see. Am I skipping any uh, of these uh, greater details here? I don't think so. I mean, okay. we can see if you guys have questions, but we won't keep you keep you much longer. Oh, you know, yeah. another thing, too, and you guys probably know this as well as anyone, the... the the gaming, you know, and, and how addictive that can be. Well, the social gaming, right? So you're on there and you're chatting with people or whatever, you get the headset, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not a gamer. What do I know? I got a kid who wants to be a gamer. If we let him, he'd probably do it 24-7, our oldest. And, um, but he's, you know, he, he tells us, you know, that what they're talking about. And a lot of it is over-sexualization about shooting people or whatever. I mean, it's, you know... How do you sexualize this game when you're you're in a World War II setting, you know, trying to stay alive or whatever? Well, they do, and the people are just chatting about stuff. Well, we 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 now know that, and we've pulled them off that. When you get them in as little groups, we're a little more smarter now. But uh, it, it's amazing how those two things uh, overlap, and it can get really out of control. We hear from a lot of our clients how out of control it is, and how people actually, you know, have their social sexual interactions based on the games that they play all the time. I don't, I don't get it. You guys probably get it. I don't know. Anyway, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, basically, the, in summary, connected parenting isn't about parenting perfectly. Hopefully, the, you can take that little nugget away. Um, it's attuning to your child's individual needs and all of their differences, making mistakes and repairing them, and basically just understanding your child as a whole person, that body, the heart, the soul, the mind. Um, and then just going along for the ride and seeing how it changes because you'll have it figured out this year and it'll change next. <laughs> so give yourselves a lot of grace with all of that as you parent your young kids and watch them grow and enjoy some of that too. So hopefully this feels more encouraging than discouraging. That's uh, hopefully you can leave with that a little bit. Even though there's a lot of scary realities out there, um, parenting can be a lot of fun. So It is a lot of fun. Yep. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> Do you guys have questions, or would you rather just kind of like call it a night? What do you, what do you, yeah. 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 That's a good thing. Question. Yeah. Well. That's Is great. After these conversations. I love when I ask, but not. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I, you know, you can chime in on this, but I think you can absolutely be firm, and you can just stay away from what the. I mean, if you want to say, I, you know, 
thank you for those emotions, but this is firm. You know, it just stay very firm and consistent. And I, that's a situation where the nurturing doesn't need to be there. So that's a very good question. And you can usually tell. I mean, you can tell moms get really good really quick at, and dads, at figuring out which cry is I'm hurt and I'm really in a lot of pain and which cry is I just didn't get what I wanted. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, that is, that is a great question. I can't believe we didn't mention this. The, the coolest thing uh, we found, one of the coolest things, not the coolest, uh, about being a parent, so one of those things that you don't, th we didn't think about it going into parenthood, um, was wa is watching your, your kids get along together or play together and loving each other. That is the best thing ever. So how to promote it. <laughs> um, I have no idea. Uh, um, w well... I have a thought. Yeah, actually. go ahead. Because nothing's coming. We to had mind. we really didn't have to work it all that hard, so I don't. It wasn't well, stupid. but I think it happened sort of organically in our family. But I do think finding those shared interests because we've talked a little bit about our three. They're super different. I mean, you don't want to put those labels on them, but they kind of have their labels. You got crafty, you got sporty, you got nerdy, and that's like our three kids. But. Um, but they don't always like to do all the same stuff. But when they were young, we did find some things that they liked to do together. And then it just fostered a little bit of their relationship. And when we first noticed it, I, we had this conversation after, and because we, we didn't. We weren't very intentional about it necessarily at first. But then we became more intentional once we saw what was happening. Um, they were at the gym together in the little daycare. And they just went around, the three of them, <laughs> together and played at different stations. Yeah. And we thought, oh my gosh, that is actually a really cool dynamic and it's protective for them too, to have each other's back. So even if it's tough with different personalities, finding those shared interests or playing games together, even uh, just doing anything that's interactive that they both, or all three or however many have. Well, like. a couple more things too is that uh, one thing that doesn't work is over-intellectualizing it. Like, you know, your brother's going to be your best friend someday, <laughs> so you got it right. You know, like, what? <laughs> no, I got Billy. He's my... So if you, you know, don't get too heady with it, in yeah. other words. And then another thing is, is find those moments of praise, you know, that strength-based sort of mm -hmm. uh, approach where you're just like, wow, that is really cool. You guys are getting along. Awesome. That's so, doesn't it feel good? You guys are getting along. And they might, you know, be resistant to that. But at least you're throwing it out there and you're kind of hitting them in a moment of, of enjoyment and getting along together. And we're promoting that. And it doesn't, you know, don't have, don't have to go over the top with it, but recognition and just kind of support of that, it, it, it'll go a long way, especially if you're consistent with it. Yeah. And I think that what, something that doesn't work is having one kid's interest kind of dictate all of, all of that, you know, uh, and the others sort of going along for the ride. So that's where it, it's good to sort of tag team it and have it be shared. You know, much like you were deciding on date nights with your spouse and you guys do something different. You prefer different things. You kind of negotiate and compromise. So yeah. any other thoughts, questions? Public questions, as Frank said. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, we really guys. appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Hopefully, this helpful.